couple weeks ago, I was at a high school graduation for my firstborn. That was exciting. And I know there's a lot of graduations going on. We have one coming up this week at Northwestern. Anybody here graduating? Anybody? Oh, oh my goodness, lots of you. I'm glad to, glad that you. I just, I just want to just share with you a little bit of something that kind of makes me bitter. Um, uh, each year at Northwestern, when they have the commencement, they fail to ask me to speak. <laughs> and each year, I get really discouraged. And, and this year was really painful because they picked the famous tennis player, Billie Jean King. Is that correct? She's going to be speaking. And that really hurts because I play tennis <laughs> in college at Arkansas Tech University. And for them to pick her over me and say, yeah, so each year I'm kind of bummed out, but I think, all right, it's all right. I always have a backup plan. I have you. <laughs> I get to preach the message to you that I would have spoken at commencement. So each year you have to bear with me. Uh, and so this year I'm speaking to the graduates and of course everybody else, but I'm also speaking to those of you who are moving. Uh, I know many of you are moving this summer. You're much older. Uh, uh, Curtis Watson just told me that it's the Watsons last Sunday here. And they've been with us for like, 13 years, and there's others who have some been with us 20 years that are moving. So this is kind of a message to you. It's, it's the message to all of you. And it goes like this. Here's the question. Do you ever find yourself dreaming about the future? Do you ever find yourself dreaming about a future location? Maybe you want to move um, downtown. Maybe you want to move to a small town. Maybe you want to move closer to family. Maybe you want to move further away from family. Do you ever find yourself dreaming about your future, what you want to do? Now get this. If you've never experienced this before, I guarantee you you will. When things in your life get hard and challenging, you'll find yourself dreaming more about another circumstance, another job, another move, another location. It will happen. When you have hard times in your life, there's something naturally within us that dreams about doing something else, being away from where we are currently at. And so what happens, I'll tell you what happens, all right? This is going to happen to you. I guarantee you this is prophetic. You will dream about a future location, and then you'll get it. And you'll be there, and you'll be doing your thing. It all seems so new. And then you'll have some challenges, and you'll start dreaming again about something else. Why does that happen? Because no matter where you go, there you are. Wouldn't it be awesome to not take yourself with you? <laughs> Don't think that all of a sudden you're going to change once you move because you still got your issues. And when things get hard, it's natural to want to move and to do something different. I am not dogging you for that because I do it too. But this is what we need to do. The ultimate problem, the ultimate problem is not that you are dreaming of an external location, but you're failing to also dream of an internal location. Make sure you get that. It's not that you have something in you that wants a resolution, that wants something fixed. It's just that you aren't dreaming far enough ahead. You were not meant to live consistently in this broken world. You are, were meant to live in perfection in you know, the Garden of Eden. That was supposed to flourish here. And then now we long for heaven. 
And it's that heavenly place when we're with the Lord forever, we will have resolution of our problems. Our circumstances will change. And guess what? You are meant to think about that and dream about that now. So it's naturally when you have problems, I understand that you are thinking about the future. But let me encourage you to go further in the future. Not just circumstances on this earth, but go to circumstances in eternity. And you will find, as you think more and more about heaven, as you think more and more about being with the Lord forever, this is what will happen to you, guarantee you. The more you think about heaven, the more you'll be able to endure no matter what circumstance you're in. The more you think about heaven and being with the Lord forever, you'll be able to persevere and stick it out no matter what you're going through. So that earthly move may never happen for you, but the more you think about heaven, you can endure your present circumstances. And it's this heaven we're going to talk about this morning. Revelation 21. Go ahead and look at it. Revelation 21. Go on through the book of Revelation. We will be done soon. And we have this famous chapter in Revelation that gives the clearest picture of heaven. The point is not to give you all the details here so you can just think about all the details of heaven. The point is to encourage beleaguered Christians that there was coming a day of final deliverance. I want to make sure you pay attention here. Revelation was written to a group of Christians who were undergoing persecution, suffering, false teaching, sexual morality, idolatry. They were very discouraged. And Jesus was telling them, hold on, hold on. There is coming a day where you'll be free from all this. Endure and you will get the crown. Hold on. And that's the way it was written. That there will become a time where they'll be free from suffering, weeping, and injustice. And until then, they were not to bail, but to press on and following Jesus. Over the years, I have signed my emails and my letters looking toward home, where you might put sincerely, I put looking toward home, because I believe as Christians, we are supposed to be looking toward home, our heaven. Remember, we're sojourners. This is not our home. Let me share with you some verses before we jump into Revelation. These are key. I love these passages. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Here's another passage. Let me put it up for you. It comes to the book of Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And one more. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. There's this consistent theme that we are to think on and dream about our future home in heaven. And as we do that, we will find perseverance and endurance no matter our circumstances. Yesterday, my wife and I were running together. 
And I said to her, I said, honey, I just wish I could believe what I preach. Like I could live it. My life would be so much better if I believed what I'm saying. Because I'm like you. When things get hard, you want to bail. I want to bail. When things get difficult, let's bail. But the word here and the truth of today is there is coming a resolution. Hold on. There is coming a day of full redemption. Hold on. And may you believe that and may I believe that. Okay, here's a little structure, little characteristics of heaven. We're going to go through this to keep us organized. God will be with his people. Earthly suffering will be over. The saints will be satisfied. And justice will be final. Let's do this. Let's start with God will be with his people. Let's jump into Revelation 21, 1 through 2. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Let's stop. If this is the future, where do believers go now when they die? Well, the Bible's clear. They go to be with the Lord in, in paradise, what we call heaven. They go to be with the Lord. But the eternal future of the saints is going to be in this new heaven and new earth. When you die in the Lord right now, you go, your soul goes to be with the Lord. But at the resurrection, at the end, your body will be joined with your soul and you will ultimately uh, dwell in the new heavens and the new earth after the millennium and all that. But we can talk about that another time. But notice in verse 1 again that the first heaven, you see it? The first heaven is more of the cosmic realm. We're not talking about the eternal state here. Many believe that this earth that we see as we look up to the heavens, many believe that the Bible teaches that the, the current heaven and earth along with the sea will be destroyed and pass away. Now, there are some who, who teach that the current heavens and earth that we see now will be renewed with the effects of sin taken away. And I'm, I'm not trying to be dogmatic, but when I read the text, it does say that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth that will resemble some of the features that we have now, but I believe it will indeed be new. Now, notice that coming down from the heavens was a holy city, the new Jerusalem. Some see this as a, a capital city of, of the new heavens and the new earth. And this city is described as a bride adorned for her husband. The language of a bride is used here because God's people are in this city and they are ready for their groom, Jesus Christ. And the idea is that God will be with his people in their new home. Believers will be together forever in their new home. Perhaps you've heard this before. There's this guy, he says, now when I get to heaven, there's going to be three things that amaze me. First thing that's going to amaze me is that I'm going to see people there that I did not expect to see there. Like, wow, I didn't expect to see you either. Second, it's going to amaze me that I'm going to not see people there that I expected to be there. And he said, the third thing that's going to amaze me is that I am there. 
The idea is that when we're in heaven, we'll be together as believers forever. And this is important to keep in mind as we live together within the body of Christ. And at times we have tensions, and at times we have challenges, at times we have disagreements. But we want to treat one another in such a way where we can remind one another, hey, we will be together forever. Let's act like it now as we pursue truth, as we pursue love, as we pursue grace. We will be together forever. Look at verse 9. Jump down to verse 9. Look at some of the features of your new home. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Once again, the bride is the city of God, filled with the people of God. And check out some of the details and dimensions in the following verses. This may bore you, but this is kind of cool. Look at verse uh, 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. All right? The city comes down, and John sees all the specifics. Verse 11. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal, had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Quick summary, John sees 12 angels, 12 gates, with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the names of the 12 apostles were written on the 12 foundations. Here we have a depiction of all of God's people, Old Testament saints, and New Testament saints represented in heaven. Let's do some measurements. Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city wall with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 104 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnean, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were... Twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. You may have always heard about the streets of gold in heaven. Here it is. The streets were made of pure gold like transparent glass. This is an amazing city. The city is as long as it is wide and the same in height and depth. It's about 1,400 miles long, wide, and high. It is a huge city. Someone that says it is large as from the farthest point of Maine to the farthest tip of Florida. It's as large as from the Atlantic Ocean to the Rocky Mountains. This is a big city. And the details are great. They're cool. They're put here for us to know. But the point 
of heaven as we get to be with God. Jump back to verse 3. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We get to be with God. Jump down to verse 22. I know it's a lot of, a lot of scripture today. Look, jump down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations." Point of heaven is not the glory of heaven, but the glory of God. People from all nations will live with God and bring him glory forever, and God will be with us forever. Revelation 22.4 says, they will see his face. Right now we can't see as clearly. 1 Corinthians 13.12 tells us, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Heaven, we're going to be with the Lord forever, face to face, and we're going to enjoy him forever. Pause. There's a heresy floating around out there that says heaven will be boring. We talk about things that are boring a lot. I'm bored. My wife and I, we were actually texting one another this morning. Uh, we were in different rooms, but we communicate through texting, even though we were in different rooms of the house. Um, and we were talking about how to raise our kids, and dealing with if they ever say they're bored. I suggested things like uh, only dull people are bored, uh, something like boring people are bored. Like, what do we tell our kids? So I would think, I'm bored. Like, well, that's your fault. And I would say, if you think about heaven and being bored, that's your fault. That's not heaven's fault. That, and in fact, if that's what you think of heaven, that is heresy. It's heresy. Shall we stone you now? Heaven, that's for God. That, that's our joy. That is our fulfillment. Everything that you've been longing for is found in God. All the joy that you can find is in God. And I'm telling you, one day when you die, you get God. Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Like, oh, why would you say death is gain? Because when you die, you get Christ. And in Christ is all the treasures and fullness. Heaven is not boring because the point is God. And I think if we think that it's boring, it's because we're not finding joy and fulfillment in God now. And that's what we want to do because that will be a continue on in eternity, not boredom, but fullness of joy. So not only heaven's talking about, hey, we get to be with God forever, but another key thing is there is not going to be pain and suffering. There's not going to be pain and suffering. Earthly suffering will be over. Look at Revelation 21, verse 4. Oh, this is good. This is the verse you know, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
The curse will be reversed. God will wipe away all tears, which means there's not going to be any more crying because there's not going to be anything to make us cry. In fact, there'll be no more pain and death because there'll be nothing to cause pain and death because suffering is part of the former things and the reality of your life right now because you live in the former things. You live in suffering and pain right now, but there is coming a time in the future Well, suffering will be no more. And as you long for that day, it gives you the ability to persevere and keep going in this day. Because one day God will take away all our pain and suffering. Just admit it. There's a lot of disappointments and pain that you face right now. I was reading a story about how just one thing can happen to you. One thing can happen, and it changed your whole life. Just one event can occur, and it, it causes you so much pain that it alters your whole life. I was reading this story uh, back in 2005. I'm sure some of you remember this. Back in 2005, uh, Adam, uh, Adam Greenberg was called up from the minors by the Cubs. So comes up from the minor leagues baseball, and he plays for the Cubs. In his first at-bat... As a major leaguer, on the very first pitch, he got hit squarely on the head. And it basically ended his career. One thing, one pitch, one event altered his whole life. And for some of you, you can go back, you know, that one thing did not happen to me. My life would be so different. It's like that one thing. Things are so different. And when you face and you think about that one thing, I would say you don't need to be entrapped by it. It doesn't need to become your identity. It doesn't need to be something that you're always, always consumed with. Whatever the one thing is, and it can be horrific. But it can make you think there is coming a day of resolution. There is coming a day of freedom from pain and suffering. Yes, this one thing happened to me, but that is not the final word. That is not the last word. Pain and suffering does not get the last word because there will come a resolution. And you're meant to look ahead. Look ahead to cause endurance and perseverance now. Heaven, we get to be with God. Heaven, pain and suffering are gone. And in heaven, the saints, believers, will be fully satisfied. It just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. We'll be fully satisfied. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, let's start reading there. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I'll be his God, and he will be my son. Please don't miss the context, or you're going to forget what's going on here. The churches that are originally hearing this are undergoing great trials, suffering, and persecution. And they are told to look to the one who is making all things new. 
He is the one who is the Alpha and the Omega. Remember this language? We see it over and over again, the Alpha and the Omega. First letter, last letter in the Greek alphabet. He is the beginning, God, and he is the end, okay? So this is what we said before. God is sovereign over the beginning. God is sovereign over the past, and God is sovereign over the future. And internally, you say, amen, amen, amen. So God is sovereign over your past, and God is sovereign over your future. And you're saying, amen, amen, amen. But God is also sovereign over your present. Oh, now. No, 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 no about that. Because all of you would say, okay, I'm looking backwards. I can see what God's doing. I saw what he did. And I can read the Bible, and I can see the, the Ford. But to talk about him sovereign over my present, I'm not so sure about that. But when you see that the same God of your past and the God of your uh, future is the same sovereign God over your present, you will say, hey, I need to commit to that God. I need to give my entire life to that God, and I need to bow down to him as my Lord. And I believe the more and more you see that God is sovereign and in control, you will persevere no matter what you're dealing with. And one of the ways that can help you persevere is to understand this concept of being thirsty. Did you, did you see it in there? Thirsty? Let's see if we can find that. It says in verse, in the middle of verse 6, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I'll be his God and be my son. So the thirsty, they get to drink this water without payment. That's, that's talking about salvation. Salvation is free. It's a free gift from God. And who are the thirsty? Those who realize their sinfulness. Those who realize that they cannot fill themselves up. Those who realize they are empty without Christ. And Jesus died, was buried, rose again. And the thirsty, those who want forgiveness and grace find that in Christ, and they are the one who conquer, and they are the one who persevere. So the key to perseverance is, I guess, remaining thirsty and finding your thirst quenched in Christ on this earth and completely in heaven. Over the winter, I sometimes run by the lake. I don't know if anybody tries to run over the winter. It's not the most pleasant experience. The lake is often, the trails are full of snow, and my feet are getting wet, and it's gross, and I have way too many clothes on. I'm sweating, gross, mask on, gloves on. But the bummer thing about running at the lake in the winter is the water fountains are all shut off. That no one has figured out technology yet to leave the water fountains on. They're all shut off, and on my route, basically almost all the bathrooms are closed but one. And I'm glad that bathroom is open. So along my winter route as I'm running, I will go into that bathroom and I'll take off my mask and I'll take off my gloves and I will drink from the bathroom sink. And I am satisfied. But I know when spring is here, I know when summer is approaching because sometime in May, if we're, if we're really blessed, it's in April, but in May, the water fountains are turned back on. And I can run along my route and drink as much water as I want. And it is refreshing. For now, we're believers. And it feels kind of like a winter, right? Things are uncomfortable. Things are not quite right. But there is still refreshment along the way to the thirsty. 
we can still have our fill of Christ. It's not perfect, right? It's not perfect. Sometimes it feels like drinking out of the bathroom sink. It's not perfect, and that's not Christ's fault. That's our fault. But there's coming a day where we will drink from the fountain of life face to face, and we will enjoy him forever. And it's only the thirsty who get that. It's only those who realize their emptiness, their sinfulness, who get that, and it's by grace, through faith in Jesus, the only one that can satisfy. Have you ever thought about heaven like this? We get God, pain, done, we're completely satisfied, and yet there's one more aspect, and it has to do with justice and dealing with evil, and we have to end there. We have to end there. Look at the last aspect shown in this passage that has to do with justice will be final. Look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jump down to verse 27, last verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Once again, don't forget the context. Jesus is writing, or this is written to churches who are suffering false teaching, sexual morality, persecution, and they are being told the conquerors get in heaven, but not the cowardly. The faithful get in, but not the faithless. The clean get in, but not the unclean. The pure get in, but not the sexually immoral. And when you read this, you think, well, it looks like we get into heaven by good works. Have you ever been at a funeral, and they're doing the funeral, and you'll hear people doing some chatter, and they will say things like, they are in a better place now. And you don't want to be rude or anything, but do you ever think to yourself, how do you know? How do you know they're in a better place now? And they may say something like, they were a good person. A couple months ago, I was watching 60 Minutes, and Michael Bloomberg, remember the former mayor of, of New York City? He was being interviewed. He's, he's now, and you know, probably has been a long time, a famous philanthropist. He said that when he dies and goes to heaven, there will be no question that he will be let in because of all the good works he has done. And yet the Bible tells us no one is good. No, not one. We do not earn our way to heaven. It's by grace through faith in Jesus who earns our way to heaven through his perfect record. We know that, right? But what do you do when you see lists like this in the Bible that says that the conquerors get in, but not the cowardly? The faithful get in, but not the faithless. The clean get in, but not the unclean. And the pure get in, but not the sexually immoral. What do you do when you read a list like this in the Bible? You must think to yourself, I guess sinners are kept out of heaven? Understand it like this. The only sinners that are let into heaven 
are repentant sinners. The only thing that distinguishes believers from unbelievers is not their sinfulness, but whether you are a repentant sinner. The Bible calls you a saint in Christ. Repentant sinners get into heaven. Repentant sinners are those who are changed. Not perfect, but they're changed. They're not going to give in to false doctrine. They're not going to be consumed with sexual morality or cowardness, but they're going to stand firm in Jesus Christ. Not always perfectly, but repentant sinners are the ones that get into heaven. And that, I think that helps explain a list like this because God's future home in heaven will be filled by repentant sinners who are there by grace. But until then, don't compromise. No matter what you're undergoing and you're suffering, don't compromise. Don't give in. Don't bail. So where we started was this. Do you ever dream about your future? Thinking that some future location or shift or maybe a new job or something is going to make your life better. And then when you get there, you're dreaming again. And I don't want to fault you for dreaming because I dream too. But I want to encourage you to dream further, to keep going, not just for an external location, but for an eternal location. Where a day where, yes, your suffering and your problems will be resolved for sure. Your pain will be gone for sure. Your thirst will be satisfied for sure. And justice, especially people are messing with you, justice will be taken care of for sure but it's not likely going to happen just from your change of an earthly circumstances. And by the way, you can have a lot of changes. We all move. We all transition. Schools are with job shift, family this, family that. But don't think that's going to make everything just right because that place is called heaven. And you're meant for heaven. That is your home. And the more you think about and dream about heaven, the more you'll be able to endure and persevere no matter what. I thought it'd be appropriate uh, this morning to end by praying a prayer that a, a woman who's thought about heaven more than anyone else that we know. And you know who she is, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a teenager. You know her story. She got into a diving accident and became paralyzed pretty much her whole life. She, she's a great speaker and author, and she talks a lot about heaven, thinks a lot about heaven. So I thought it'd be appropriate to pray a prayer that she has written as we finish up this message on heaven. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and go to a time of prayer. Lord, when I read these words that describe heaven at face value, gates of pearl, streets of gold, I sometimes feel confused. Let heaven become alive for me. Show me the mysteries of heaven. I thank you that you have made heaven grander than human language. Help me to grasp heaven by faith. Create within me that certainty that what I am hoping for is far better than what is here on earth. Make heaven come alive for me today.
Lord, the best things of this world don't even minutely stack up to the wonderful things you have planned for me in heaven. Better than beautiful sunrises and glowing sunsets. Better than crashing surf and waterfalls. Thank you for sparing no expense when it comes to preparing a place for me. Lord, even though I've had some wonderful worship experiences here on earth, I can't wait for the dynamic worship we will share together around your throne in heaven. Help me to get ready for heavenly worship by cultivating fresh new ways to praise you now. Lord, help me as I aim for heaven. Cultivate within me a useful affection for heaven that will benefit me and others here on earth. Keep me heavenly-minded and earthly good. Father, I miss you. I miss a closeness to you that is tangible. I long for the righteousness of heaven. Focus my eyes of faith. Bring heaven forward into vivid reality in my mind and heart that will spur me on to righteous living. Father, I thank you that my life is but a mist that vanishes swiftly. Thank you for your promises of greater blessing at the end of time. Help me to stand firm on those promises and say about my sufferings, these will pass and all will be worth it. Father, the promise of a future rest reminds me that now is not the time to rest, but rather to work. Help me to make the most of every day for your glory as I follow the journey home. In Jesus' name, amen.